My name's Kevin. I'm one of the worship drummers. You're listening to the podcast from King's Cross Church in Charleston, South Carolina. We are working our way through the entire Bible during 2023 in a sermon series called The Story. For more information about our church or to find resources related to the story, visit kingscross.org. Okay, Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12. Um, we moved, my family moved into our current house in um, 2018. And since we moved in, I think uh, that two things have happened that, for me at least, have made Christmas better. Right? Uh, the first one was, uh, this house we live in now has a gas fireplace. And I love fire. I love building a fire with the smell of burning wood. Uh, I like to find random things in the garage that are flammable and throw them in there. Um, basically a middle school boy, but I think this is great. Uh, so we have a little fire pit out in the backyard now where we can indulge in that. But what I don't have to do in the house anymore is stack wood up and clean up in front of the fireplace and dig the ashes out of there and freak out about how many times you're supposed to or how often you're supposed to have that stuff that builds up inside the chimney cleaned out. Um, those little embers pop out, you know, and you get worried that it's going to catch the stockings on fire or something like that. It's just a hassle, right? And so now, uh, if it's a little chilly, which it never is, but, you know, if it's ever chilly again, now all I have to do is I, I do like this. And this is life-changing, right? Just turn it on, and 10 minutes later, the living room. The second thing that happened is after 20 years of asking, patiently but persistently, I finally got permission to have an artificial Christmas tree. This is life-changing, right? Uh, because now, instead of paying good money for something that is already dead when I buy it and dragging it in the house. And everybody else loved it. Like it smells good. That's great. But I'm the one that had to water it and clean up the stupid little needles because they fall down every day. And if you don't get a good one, about 10 days later, the limbs are drooping and your ornaments are falling off. And this is just right. Now, by God's grace, it takes like six minutes to set up. And I got this little thing on the floor and I just touch it and bloop, beautiful tree, right? And for me, that might be silly to you, right? But I'm telling you, like, no, you got to have a real fire and a real. I'm just telling you, try it, right? And your life will be better. Nah, it's, maybe that's a little bit silly, but for me, it's good. Right? Now, my guess is if we just went around the room, everybody has something that you feel like, even if it's something silly, makes Christmas just a little bit better. Maybe you finally figured out that a standing rib roast is a lot better than turkey or ham. And like your Christmas just gets a little bit better. It might be a tradition that your family has. And, and every year you know, once we do this, it really feels like Christmas. For me going, growing up, that was Christmas Eve at our church. That, that was the official beginning of Christmas for me as a kid. Maybe it's people. And you have some family or friends, when they come in or when you get to go to them, it, it, Christmas is just better because you get to be with them. Maybe you look back and things have changed and, and you think, man, Christmases were better back then. I, I wish that this still happened. Or maybe there's something that you're wanting 
for Christmas morning. It's a week away. You're starting to get excited because you feel like under the tree is a better gaming system or a better pair of boots, a better skillet, an envelope of cash. It's just going to like you and you feel like, okay, if I can just hold out for another week, things are going to get a little bit better. I think Christmas is one of those seasons that just naturally lends itself to our hearts and our minds thinking about how could life be better? What would make life better? And that's the season that the Christians to whom this letter we call Hebrews were, was first written, it's the season that they are in. They need life to be better. They are being persecuted. They are scattered. And one of the threads that the writer of Hebrews pulls through the letter is that because Jesus has come, things will be better. He, he is writing to them as a people who live on this side of Christmas, on, on this side of the incarnation and the cross. And he's saying, because Jesus has come, life will be better. And so he talks to them about a better hope and a better covenant in chapter 7. He speaks of better sacrifices in chapter 9 and a better possession in chapter 10. In chapter 11, he points them to a better country, a better life, and he reminds them that God has provided them with something better. And in chapter 12, he says Jesus is a better word. The letter basically has two themes. Don't give up. Jesus is better. It's basically the message of the book of Hebrews. So I don't know what it is that you're hoping for, praying for, asking for this Christmas. I don't know what you want to be better in the new year or what you hope is going to be better by this time next year. But in Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2, the writer reminds believers, and it is written to Christians. So if you're not a Christian yet, understand that um, these are realities that are held out to you and can be yours when you come to a place of repentance and faith. But he's writing the letter to people who are already believers. And he says there are these four realities in your life that are possible because of Jesus' incarnation. Four gifts, if you will, that believers have received because of what we now celebrate as Christmas. Let's look at them together. Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Four gifts for believers. First, notice that because Jesus has come, believers receive encouragement drawn from the past. Encouragement drawn from the past. First part of verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Well, what witnesses? If you turn the page back or you scroll up on your phone to Hebrews 11, what you'll find is, um, is a chapter that's often called the Hall of Fame of Faith, 
And in it, the writer of Hebrews is just walking through um, these people of old, saints that we've read about in the Old Testament in our journey through the story. He mentions 10 people by name who, by faith, trusted in the promises of God. At one point, he refers to the entire nation of Israel who, by faith, passed through the Red Sea together. And another time, he mentions the army of Israel who, by faith, walked around the walls of and conquered the city of Jericho. And he's calling these early Christians to remember all of these stories that you and I have spent a year together looking at. And he's saying, you got to remember the past. And be encouraged by it. Draw encouragement from these truths, the history of the people of God. He concludes the chapter this way, chapter 11. What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Japheth, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. <laughs> I mean, what an encouragement. Who, who would not want to walk in, to, to live in that type of triumphant Result of faith. But he doesn't stop there. There are other people of faith, he says, as he continues in verse 35. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword. They went about in sheep, in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. So don't miss what he's saying there. He's saying to these world-weary Christians, look, I know life isn't all you thought it might be. I know that you long for, maybe even need something better. I know that you look back on other people and their faith and you feel like, I wish that I lived that type of conquering life. But don't forget, not everybody had it better than you. Some got stoned to death. Some got sawn in two. In fact, he says, even Gideon and King David, even the prophet Samuel, even they didn't have it as good as you because God had promised something better for us. What well, what? I mean, what what would a suffering, persecuted, anonymous Christian in a forgotten town who's received a letter by, at least to us, an unnamed author, what could they possibly have that's better than King David? Jesus. We have 
Jesus. And he's writing to them saying, don't you see that because of the birth of Christ, you have already received something better You've received the fullness of God's self-revelation. He's come in the person and work of Jesus of Nazareth. And yes, others have been where you are. And so if you're struggling, you're not alone in your struggle. Don't be discouraged and downhearted. Be encouraged by the past, but also like you're not unique in your success. So don't get puffed up and proud if you're walking in high cotton right now. You need to be encouraged by the past because you need to remember, look back on those experiences of the people, who God, of, people of God who came before you and draw encouragement from the past. Remember that in his loving providence, God has chosen to have you live your life on this side of the cross where the fullness of God's self-revelation has been made known. In 1 Peter 1, the apostle says this. He says, The prophets searched and inquired carefully about the mystery of the Christ, and that angels longed to look into these truths about Jesus, this gospel that you and I very often simply take for granted because we've just had it our whole life. He says... Angels long to look into the truths that you know. The prophets searched and inquired, who is this one I'm writing about and when is he going to come? And you know. The Old Testament saints looked forward to, hoped for, searched for the one who was promised. They had faith in the promises that have now been revealed to you and I. And then their stories were written down and preserved so that you and I might receive encouragement by looking back at them. They needed what we have. We need what they had. Be encouraged. By the past, second gift that the birth of Jesus had made possible for believers is endurance needed for the present. Endurance needed for the present. Having been lifted up and encouraged by God's faithfulness in the past, Christians then are spurred on in the present. Second half of verse 1 says, Having read about or heard, been encouraged by these people's lives in the past, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Christian life is not a sprint. It says it's an endurance race. The biblical writers likened the life of faith to being a boxer, a soldier, They said to get through it, you need to be patient and long-suffering. That it would be a life characterized by longing and waiting. Jesus called his followers, metaphorically, to be crucified every day. That's a life of endurance. 
It's almost as if the writer of Hebrews has in mind a marathon runner who is lagging at the end of the race. But along the sides of the streets are these great cloud of witnesses cheering them on, encouraging them to keep going, giving them just that little bit more of endurance that they need. I was thinking about that last week, and then over the weekend I saw this article in the Chicago Sun-Times about the Chicago Marathon. And I won't read it all, but it says, early in the article, it says, just past the halfway point of a marathon, sometimes all it takes is a catchy sign or an enthusiastic chant to boost runners' spirits. And so they give some examples. There was a sign, for example, that said, go, random stranger, which, which I think is great. Right? One that said, you got this Morocco. There was a guy running with a Moroccan flag around his neck. Somebody was running in all pink, and so there was a sign that said, hi, Barbie. Um, I don't know why that men do dumb things, but um, there was a lady whose husband dressed up in a Scooby-Doo outfit and ran. And so she had a sign that said, you can scooby dooby do it, <laughs> which I think is good. Um, and there was one that said, run like Swifties to the NFL. <laughs> right? But they talked to some of the people who were standing there. Why are you out here? You know, one said, if someone can give a little cheer and take your mind off any pain you might be starting to feel, then I'll do it. Somebody else said, I see strangers walking by with tears on their face, and I just want to give them a hug. There was a finisher named Jared Amon who said the crowd was there to pump him up when he started feeling cramps in the second half of the race. He said, there wasn't a point where people weren't packed on the sidelines, playing music, handing you bananas. The energy on Wacker or Waker Drive around the halfway mark helped him grind through to the finish line, he added. Crowds lining the route helped him push through cramping and pain near the end of the race. I think this is what the writer of Hebrews has in mind. He sees these world-weary, tired Christians running their race, and on the sides, great clouds of witnesses saying, you can do it, just keep going. Remember Jesus and run your race with endurance. It is worth it. In Philippians 3, the Apostle Paul says it this way, One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So friends, I don't know what this Christmas season brings you. It might be the joy of a new grandchild or the pain of a lost loved one. It might be the anticipation of an upcoming trip or the disappointment of having to cancel one. It could be the excitement of new opportunities or just a settled-in boredom of the same old, same old that you can't seem to shake off. I don't know where you find yourself at the end of this year, but I know this. The truth of who Jesus is, the reality of his resurrection, the annual reminder of his incarnation, Emmanuel, God with us, the power of 
of His indwelling Spirit, the Spirit of Christ in you, the testimony of others who have gone before you and those who are still in it with you, those things can give you the endurance needed for the present. His mercies are new every morning. His grace is sufficient for you. So we draw from Him. We draw from the saints of old and from one another. This is why we try so hard to impress on you the importance of being connected in community. Because we need each other in good times and bad, in rejoicing and in weeping. And this time of year, the incarnation of Jesus, and I would say even more so his resurrection, it gives us the assurance of these things. It makes us strong. It lifts our hands and our heads. It renews our strength. It fills us with the endurance needed for times such as these, for the present. Third, we can have a hope assured by the future. Hope assured by the future. There at the beginning of verse 2, the writer says, We run our race looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. The founder and perfecter. What he's saying is what Jesus began, he will complete in you, in me, in us, in this broken world. If you're someone who looks around the world and you get discouraged because it doesn't look the way you think it should, God agrees with you. That's why he sent his son. To live a perfect life, to die a death in your place as your substitute. It's why he raised him again with power that through him all things might be made perfect that through him all things might be restored. They might be, to use the language of the writer of Hebrews, better. And that day is coming. The perfect is coming. Again, the words of the Apostle Paul, this time from 1 Corinthians 13. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then, face to face, now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Jesus' birth, the fulfillment of God's promises to our spiritual ancestors, gives us endurance for today. His resurrection gives us an assurance in our hope for the promises yet to come. It gives us a hope assured by the future that we know is coming, that we know that God has promised will be ours in Christ. And fourth, because of Jesus' birth, life, death, resurrection, and his promised return, believers have the joy found in the gospel. Joy found in the gospel. The end of verse 2 says, We run our race looking to Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. 
Now remember, I said he is writing to a weary, embattled, persecuted people. And he's calling them to be encouraged by those who came before them. He's urging them to endure and to keep running their race. And he's reminding them of the sure hope that they have for a better future because of their faith in Christ. And he ends the thought with this, basically a summary of the gospel. He talks about Jesus' crucifixion. It is implied that he was resurrected because he says he's now ascended and he is at his Father's right hand. And so watch this. He sets Jesus enduring the shame of the cross in the context of his ultimate victory and triumph that ushered him back to his rightful place at the right hand of his Father. No wonder Jesus looked at the cross and saw joy. Not only was he going to redeem those who had faith in him, but it was also the doorway back to the heavenly places where he had laid aside his divine attributes and taken the form of a servant. It was the pathway back to his father's side. So too we as those who are living in this time between, between the first and the second coming of Jesus, so too we find joy in the gospel because we know that this life is a prelude to something much better. A better hope that is ours through Christ, the mediator of a better covenant, who became a better sacrifice for us on the cross in our place, through whom, by God's grace, through faith, we become heirs to a better possession in a better country, the new heavens and the new earth, where we experience a better life for all eternity. Because by sending his son to be born of a virgin and a little forgotten backwoods town called Bethlehem, not even big enough to be listed among the tribes. Laid in a manger, fully God and fully man. God was providing for us something better. Jesus, the better word, made flesh. Whether you have been with us all year on our journey through the story or even if this is your very first week, maybe it's your first time even thinking about the men and women of old who in faith trusted the promises of God and had it counted to them as righteousness. No matter where you are on that spectrum, I hope that as we move closer to Christmas Day, your heart and your mind will reflect on God's faithfulness in the lives of so many people across history and that you'll be encouraged if you're weary Know that enduring is worth it. Jesus is worth it. Your hope in him will not put you to shame. It has been assured by his resurrection. So count it all joy. And let us lay aside every weight and every sin which clings so closely. And let us run our race with endurance, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross despised its shame, and is seated at the right hand of God the Father. Let's pray.
Father, surely you have encouraged us in so many ways. Read the testimonies of faithful men and women who came before us. We see you working, you fulfilling your promises, you speaking to us and revealing yourself to us. And this time of year, we are reminded at every turn that you sent your son that you might be with us, that you might shepherd us because you have loved us. Would you help us that by the Spirit's work we might be encouraged? If there are those among us who are weary, would you give them the strength to endure? Those who are having a mountaintop experience this time of year, this season in their life, would you help them to tell others about the joy that is theirs in Christ? We look to you in his name, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. My name's Chip. I'm the lead pastor here at King's Cross Church. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope that you're growing in the gospel as we work our way through the story. Take a moment to subscribe and you'll get each week's episode automatically. May the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.